I'm Bernard Fraser, and you're listening to The Essence of Cool. In the late 80s, early 90s, Leslie Stanwyck was known as a member of Canadian power-pop band Pursuit of Happiness, but in 1992, she and her partner Johnny Sinclair broke out on their own to form Universal Honey, who, 40 years later, are on the cusp of releasing their eighth album, Dandelion. Their music has been on the charts north and south of the border, been placed in movies and TV shows like Searching for Deborah Winger and Degrassi The Next Generation. They've shared the stage with the Eurythmics, Goo Goo Dolls and Duran Duran, and branched off into other genres with their projects Tucker Lane and The Bod. On this episode, we discuss all that, their work with producer Todd Rundgren, songwriting on the road, and her essence of cool pick, the legend Keith Richards. Fasten your seatbelts and let's get started. Leslie Stanwyck, welcome to The Essence of Cool. Thank you for having me to The Essence of Cool, Bernard. I'm thrilled to be here. I'm really excited to have you on. Um, I mean, I've been tracking you guys for a long, long time. Uh, you've been around for a while, and it's really yeah. exciting uh, because you don't often get bands, Canadian bands, who are still in the thick of it, still like churning out great albums, great music, still rocking hard and uh, playing hard. And one thing I discovered in doing my research, and you had mentioned it to me as well, is it's not just Universal Honey, it's Tucker Lane, it's The Bod, it's you and Jillian, uh, which is very cool. (laughs) Let me just take you back to the beginning. When did your passion for music start and how did it start? Do you remember? I think, uh, well, definitely it must have started when I was a wee little girl because um, I, when I was four, I wanted to play the piano. And I think it started because my, my dad was a big-time musician. He is a trumpet player, um, one of the best out there. He played with all kinds of greats. He played with, you know, Judy Garland, Ella Fitzgerald, Quincy Jones, like wow. all of them. You know, he was asked to go on many tours around the world. With He started out with some... Um, Lionel Hampton's band, um, back when he was just a kid, you know? So, um, and you know, I remember when I was a kid, just the parties, because, you know, there'd be people hanging out at our place that I found out later were people like, you know, the guys from Lighthouse or, um, uh, from the band and Robbie Robertson and all these people. So I think I got the bug like really, really young. And then for whatever reason, I wanted to play the piano. And so, um, uh, my dad and my mom's a singer as well and an, and an artist as well. Um, but yeah, my dad, he, that's how he made the living for, for the band was, was doing that being like one of the top session players in Toronto. So, um, yeah, that was, that was when he definitely inspired me, I think to, to play music. You know, I think of you as a, as a Saskatoon based band which you are now but you're you're born and bred in toronto right oh yeah 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 born and raised in toronto and moved out here i guess it's 12 years now we've been out on the prairies so uh 
yeah, but Toronto definitely is my first home and I, it's a, it's a great city. It's changed a lot. It's yeah. grown a lot. You know, it used to be, it was, my parents used to say it was like a, used to be, um, a city with a small town attitude and it kind of was like that at one point. And so, um, but yeah, we moved out here for a quieter, easier lifestyle for sure. Yeah. Well, I grew up in Toronto as well in the West End and, uh, the old joke was, uh, they rolled up the sidewalks at five o'clock. Uh, <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Just out of curiosity, where in Toronto did you grow up? Uh, well, uh, Davisville um, area um, was kind of where I was when I was really young, when I started, you know, playing piano. And then uh, my dad wanted to move us out of the city because, uh, you know, we had a family. He had a family and me and my sister. So we moved out to Thornhill for a while. And then mm. we moved back to the... Um, uh, my mom loved to be in the city, so we moved back to the um, oh, on Millwood Road, yeah, just right around that same area, that whole Davisville, you know, uh, Mount Pleasant kind of area. Okay, yeah, yeah. So yeah, but we, oh. but uh, Johnny and I lived in the West End as well, you know, Queen um, West, and uh, yeah, in the hub of it when it was just it was rocking back then, you know, like in the yeah. late '80s, early '90s, and yeah. 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 How about yeah. you? Where did you live? I lived, well, I grew up in, in Etobicoke, 427 in Burnham Thorpe, but I've lived virtually every area in Toronto, but uh, late 80s, uh, early, well, actually 80s, I lived in um, uh, downtown Bathurst and Bloor. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And as you say, it was hopping back then. Oh my sure. gosh. Do you remember the, um, when this is even a little bit earlier, um, I don't know if you remember, because were you born and raised in Toronto or, or yes. yeah. Do you remember when they used to close down this uh, young street, um, right around where Sam's was and A&A Records was, and they yeah. had a little festival there. I don't know what they did there, but I do remember yeah. my folks taking me there because we would go, I'd go album shopping and, and yeah. that was where I got my first, uh, record, I think was at Sam's. I, I got kiss destroyer that was my first oh, album. Awesome. <laughs> i actually saw that tour at varsity stadium oh, the kiss tour. oh yeah. my gosh that must have been amazing yeah no kidding yeah we used to um on saturdays um i would as a young teen hop on the subway and i would start at young and bluer and i walk would walk down right down to queen street and go to all the record shops and you know rifle through all the yeah. delete bins looking for albums that had cool pictures on them and not knowing anything about them and just buying yeah. it for you know 3.99 or 2.99 or whatever back then so. yeah no kidding i know like that's the one thing that is so missed i think is that because you did, you went to a record store and there was a community that was kind of built there, yeah. right? Yeah. And people would just, there's the excitement of all being together. And now when you get your music just on your phone, on your own, I mean, there's advantages to it. There's positives and negatives to everything. You have to take your music with you. Yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, I remember when that first Walkman came out, it was like, oh my gosh, you can take your music with you if you go somewhere. <laughs> wow. Uh I remember the first time I heard a Walkman, uh, I was um, I was hanging out with the Alana Miles band at that time. My friend uh, Larry was the guitar player, and Alana would very kindly let me open up her second set to, um, and do a Bowie tune or whatever. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> and we were up in Gravenhurst uh, doing the Albion Hotel. Uh, Christopher Ward actually joined us that night to, to sing with Alana because they were an item back then. 
But yeah. uh, I remember uh, Larry had just purchased a Walkman, and I'd never even seen one before. He put the uh, the headphones <laughs> on and played Ziggy Stardust for me. <laughs> it oh blew my mind. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> no kidding. Like, double-blowing your mind. Bowie, Ziggy Stardust, and right. being able to hear it on a Walkman. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> awesome. I love... The I mean, I don't know if you like this term power pop or not, but I love the brand of power pop or whatever kind of pop you want to call it that you guys bring. Um, it's really some of the best that I've ever heard. Um, and I just I'm curious to know, because you're you're all over the map. You've got, you know, this band and you've got Tucker Lane, which is a country act. And you've got the bod, which fan, fantastic electronic, by the way. I just was listening to some today. <laughs> I couldn't, yeah, I couldn't Coming find from it you, that's music. great. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's awesome. Re really slick, uh, great productions. And of course, the, the the consistent thread through all of this is your fabulous voice. But we're going to get to that in a second. <laughs> How did you end up getting involved in Power Pop per se and not something else back in the beginning? Yeah, well, you know what? I think that what um, just hearing that the pop music um, seventies radio, you know, um, mm. stuff like one of the songs that I always mention, um, and oddly enough, it, it was kind of more of a rootsy song was my Maria by B.W. Stevenson. Right. And uh, the harmonies in there are amazing. And they kind of are a counter melody to the main melody. Um, cause they follow it. They do a little bit of an answer thing. It's so sweet. Like, it's just, it's such a sweet melody. And then, of course, there's just, like, there's something about really, really sweet melodies that does it to me. Like, another uh, one that wrote great songs was Lindsey Buckingham. You know, Johnny used to play Lindsey Buckingham a lot in, in the van when we were on tour and stuff. And I would be sleeping in the van, and I'd wake up to um, walk, walk, a, walk us in line. Right. And I thought I was just in heaven. I thought I died and went to heaven because the melodies are so sweet. But I also love, you know, I love the Rolling Stones, you know, like, and I love rock and roll. And I love that kind of, you know, a bit of that edge and that anger to it. So putting them both together and having those sweet, sweet melodies with kind of a, you know, a bit of a, with guitar rock in the background i just i love that like big star and um yeah you know yeah. like just such great melodies and um but you know just again like those standards those sweet beautiful melodies that mm. you know are just catchy and just heartfelt i just love that well it's interesting you say uh, you talk about the sweet melodies with that kind of edgy sonic uh, soundscape underneath it. Reminds me a lot of The Pretenders. And mm -hmm. of course, your voice, I'm <laughs> sure, has been compared to Chrissy Hines many, many times. Yes. There are very similar qualities to it. Yeah. So maybe no surprise that uh, you kind of have taken that tack with the music. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, I do get compared a lot to her voice, which is amazing because I love the quality of her voice. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I think we think obviously have things that are different, but there's so, there is something there. It's, it's a tone that's similar. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, the Pretenders, of course, um, amazing band. Uh, she's an amazing writer. 
Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and it is kind of in that power pop vein for sure. Mm-hmm. And then through the, you know, the nineties, there was a bunch of bands that did that as well. Right. Like there's teenage fan club and right. just, you know, a, a ton of them. So, um, yeah, I just really love that. It's not to say that I do, I love all kinds of music. I really do. Um, but I mean, even when you think of something like, um, the Ramones, mm-hmm. you know, I had this discussion with my son just a couple of days ago. I mean, that's really just, it's power pop, really. I mean, we call yeah. it punk, but it's just the melodies are very poppy. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, and, and very sweet, you know? Um, so yeah, it's just, it's fun to try and play with that and, and, um, bring that edge in, but still keep the sweetness, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, tell me about some of the, some of the influences you guys had sort of in the late eighties in your, in your pursuit of happiness days, who were you listening to? So one band that comes to mind again, where you've got the, you know, that power pop thing, was the smithereens you know um they had a lot of great uh uh, great songs but we were listening to so much stuff like i said in the late 80s when we were traveling around with pursuit of happiness in the van or on the tour bus um we were just listening to uh, just a lot of different kinds of music i mean everything from you know guns and roses of course to um to lou reed's album or you know to i don't know we were just listening to a lot of different kind of music and then johnny is so great and being able to find all of these um like the lindsey buckingham where it's like you'd overlook those kind of artists they're they're solo stuff i want to talk a little bit about the 2022 being i think the 30th anniversary of universal honey is it not yes yes that was when we actually named the the band universal honey and did the um we were asked to do a Joni mitchell uh, compilation album, not the whole album, just to put a song on there. We did, we picked Carrie and, mm-hmm. uh, and that's when we, they were like, you need a name of the band. Our band before then was called loud factory. So oh, we I just, like yeah, I know we just <laughs> get, gave her a, eh? and so, but then we, um, yeah, a member of the band ended up leaving and, you know, didn't want to do it anymore. And then we were like, ah, let's change the name. And we had to come up with the name and then, um, it came from, um, uh, uh, an old dear friend of mine, not old friend, but a dear friend of mine, you know, from high school, we used to write a ton of songs together. And uh, one of the songs that we wrote together was called Universal Honey. And so I kind of threw that into the hat and everyone liked it. So it stuck. And then we, oh. we did the the compilation album. And then the next year we did Magic Basement, the first album. No, it's a great, uh, it's a great name. Looking back over the 30 years, what would you say are some of the highlights? Well, definitely touring with the Goo Goo Dolls was a huge highlight because that was just, yeah, it was a great time. Um, the Goo Goo Dolls um, just had the hit. Uh, we were with them kind of at the beginning before Name, their song Name, hit it big. Right. So we started out in clubs with them and just following them through the States. And then the clubs grew to soft cedars and, you know, and became bigger and bigger. So we were there with them when all of that grew. And that was a really special time for, for, for them and for us. Like, and they were amazing guys. Like they're so, you you know, you can just hopefully tell when they were already had been on the road for many, many years, Mm -hmm. veterans. And you can just tell when there's veterans that have been through it. They're just, 
good people. We'll move gear on stage if you've got to set something up as an opening band. You know what I mean? And wow. be real good to you because they're just like, yeah. we've been there. We've, you know, we've been through yeah. the crap and people teach, treat, treating you like crap and stuff. So we're not going to do that. And that's what those guys were amazing. And they always fought to have us on tour because when they started hitting it big, so many bands were like, we want to open for you. And they'd get calls from labels or whatever. They're like, nope, it's Universal Honey. Oh, so that's amazing. They, yeah. Johnny and Robbie, yeah, already went to bat, bat for us. So, um, and that was, that was through, um, our manager at the time, Doug Dombrowski. And, uh, yeah, just he did work for them. It's very cool to hear about an opening act having a really solid experience with a, a, a major name and them being so nice. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> We got a chance to to open for Carol Pope and Rough Trade back in the beginning of the year, and uh, same thing. And these guys are are legends, yeah. and just super super sweet, super nice. Do anything yeah. for you, and it's so cool because you hear the horror stories all the time, right? Oh, you never hear totally. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We have some we have some fun ones from Pursuit of Happiness days because you know we opened up for Duran Duran on a U.S. tour and opened up for the Eurythmics in, in Europe. And yeah, yeah, those guys were, both of them were, you know, um, yeah, like don't look at them as they go down the hallway or you can't be oh, in the no. hallway at all. Or, you know, don't go into the, in catering, you know, if we, I remember one time we went catering a little bit early and they all got up and just like left because we came into catering. Oh no. <laughs> so, I'm sad yeah. to hear that. <laughs> I was, it's oh. funny actually. <laughs> it's funny. I was, I'm, I'm really sad, especially about Duran because uh, I mean, there's such a huge band for oh. me. And uh, I just talked to Phil Thornley um, uh, about three weeks ago who produced, uh, well, he engineered uh, Seven and the Ragged Tiger and, and produced The Cure and blah, blah, blah. But wow. he, and he talked about Simon specifically saying what a sweet man Simon was and what a hardworking guy. So I'm hoping mm. it wasn't Simon that was like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think it was mostly Simon. I think it was a few of the other guys. Uh, but um, yeah, I mean, you know, whatever to each his own and, and, um, and you know, what, you know, you're out in the road and it's not the grind and maybe you don't want to meet new people. I, Johnny and I have always been like, we like to meet other bands and yeah. other musicians and talk stories and, you know, yeah. like it's, it's fun. Like whenever there was so much fun doing some of those, um, festival shows like radio festival shows because there was a ton of bands on there and you just got to know so many people like that's where we got to meet dan marfizi because he right. was playing with poe right, right? angry right. angry johnny um he was playing with poe at the time down in the cleveland festival and uh you know he ended up being a friend and worked on the bod and worked on our new universal honey album with us so right. um and he's out of la like we would have never met him or known him and he's an amazing guy and the talent and yeah, yeah so and i guess sometimes too when you're on the road so much because i know duran i mean they were on the road for like three years straight or something ridiculous mm, and yeah. you know it and i'm sh you know it gets to you after a while right sure but yeah, um, for sure yeah, and I, you just need your you need your little alone time or yeah. whatever right yeah. yeah for sure i was talking to ivan doris chuck of been without hats a little while ago and he was telling he was talking about sort of the same scenario and how much of a grind it 
got to be uh, at a certain point. And he said it was Howard Jones who taught him how to really sort of sink his teeth in and start to enjoy the process instead of like hating it. Um, And I think that's one of the things that's missing is not knowing how to really appreciate that time. Um, yeah, so true. Because when you go out in the road and, and it's so much fun to get started. And then when you, it, it for sure, when it lasts, because we were out in the Goo Dolls tour for, you know, practically a year straight. So, mm-hmm. and then we did our own tour. So we've done definitely two, three years straight. And it yeah. does start to be like, I just want to be in my own bed in a yeah. stationary or <laughs> solid place. So, yeah. 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 Um, just in, on that note, I reached out to an old friend of yours, um, an, a newer friend of mine, Tim Timlick, your old drummer. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I yeah. asked him just to, you know, if he could text me a little something about his memories of being on tour with you guys. Aww. And he said this, if you'll indulge me. Um, of course. I was thinking about that period in time. There's many stories, of course. We toured, toured hard for about a year, maybe a half, year and a half. Many, many months was opening for the Google Dolls. What I do remember and think about is this. It was an extraordinary time in my touring days. We played often six, seven nights a week. We traveled deep into the U.S. and went into stages I had never been, played cities I never would have seen otherwise, and met and played with some idols, and in general, had the time of our lives. I wouldn't change a thing, except perhaps recognizing how incredible an experience like that really was at the time. Not that I didn't. We made great uh, great music on many stages, and I loved it. One of the more bizarre nights was playing Cape Cod. I don't know if you remember this. We played on a hill with Zach Wilde, Ozzy Osbourne's guitar player, and Peter Wolf of the Jay Giles Band. A club owner invited us and Zach back to play a couple of songs on his stage that night, and we drank. So that's uh, that's what we did. He had a young cover band there that night, and after used the, their gear for a couple of tunes, Zach walked up and asked the young guys if he could sit in. I bet those young guys will never forget that night. I sat back and loved watching that moment. Okay. And all the Cracker Barrels we added across the country. Ha ha. (laughs) What does that make you think of when you hear that? Um, It makes me think of how happy I was when I saw a Cracker Barrel. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. It was like a beacon because, you know, you'd be driving and driving and just be, you know, these gas stations and just crappy food and it was like the the, it was the most amazing time to just to have some some real kind of food but anyways yeah i i know that and there's you know what there's probably so many memories that you know people could bring up and they do and he's brought up one that i'd forgotten about that they just bring up these memories and i'm like oh my god i wouldn't have remembered that had you not reminded me of that so um because there's just there's so many of them so yeah Yeah, yeah, it was a great, great time. the secret of keeping the spark after 30 years in a band (laughs) i don't know like i've had people that have left uh doing music or left being a musician even some that are in our were in our band or you know had to just kind of say no i can't do this anymore it's too heartbreaking um and 
Um, so I think I might be a little crazy for sure. I think I might, might be. And cause I just, I don't know where it comes from, but I just, I don't think I just, I don't really want to do anything else. I just don't find that passion and love for anything else. And, you know, so yeah, I, I, I don't know what the, the, I don't know what the answer is to that. Like, how do you keep the spark? Like, I think you just either have the spark in you that lasts forever or you, you don't. And not to say that people that leave it don't still have the spark or maybe have the regrets of leaving it or just feel so damn frustrated that it's just, it's more heartbreak than it is enjoyment at mm. that point. And that's why they decide I can't do it anymore yeah. because there's definitely a lot of, it's hard, as you know, yeah. <laughs> you're an artist, you know? Um, uh, so it's just, it's a very difficult thing to, to choose to do. And, uh, but you just really have to love to create and love that, that process, I think mostly. And I think that's what we do it for is to create, yeah, something new and different and yeah, it's the whole creation, I think, as well as connecting with people. Right. You know, it must be doubly difficult or cha- not difficult, but challenging because you're doing your, you're, you've been working on universal honey for 30 years, but you've also been working on your relationship with Johnny for 30 years. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) How do you, how do you juggle that? Uh, it is really hard. It's not easy. I'm not going to lie because we are business partners and we play music together and we have so many things going on and you do not prioritize your relationship. Right. Um, you prioritize the business and you can definitely get caught up in just the day to day, you know, this is what we got to do today. And that's all you talk about. That's all you don't connect. So, you know, (laughs) we've been trying as of late to try to just even, I know it sounds corny, but actually do date nights and stuff, but just go out and just talk about stuff either than the business about how you're feeling about life, you know, uh, what's going on what's happening, you know, in, in your, in your heart and soul or whatever. Um, cause it's really, really important to do that. And it can, it, yeah, it can destroy for sure. A lot of, um, marriages I would, I would think. Yeah. Um, one of the, although it's a good thing that we have it in common too, though, it's, it's a bond that keeps us together. So it's kind of, again, positive, negative, (laughs) right? you know, just out of curiosity, because it's as bound to have happened at least once over the 30 years where the couple is having a bit of a spat, but you have to go on stage. How do you deal with that? (laughs) (laughs) Oh. Oh, yes, that has definitely <laughs> happened. And, um, you know, thankfully now, you know, I think we always have had, and it's been built into me from my dad, who is a professional and a, and just a classy, just amazing professional musician, my dad was. And uh, that there's, there, you just, the show must go on. And you just put that to the side because it's, 
there's just something that comes over you. It's just like, we'll deal with this later or whatever. Like you might have a little bit of when you go on, maybe play that song a little angrier than you would have played (laughs) (laughs) the first couple of songs. And then you start to go, you start to forget about the outside world when you're, you know, on stage playing music. And is the spat usually resolved by the time you get off stage? (laughs) usually it is because there's enough time that has gone by i think you know that's a very important thing i think Uh, we've noticed it and if 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 there's any advice that has been given to me and i could give to people is definitely take that time right because things do kind of just you're you're just so inflamed sometimes and mm-hmm. things that you're feeling and the emotions are going mm-hmm. and to step away and say, we're not going to just look at each other or just go away. Yeah. You know, both of us for a couple of hours, if not more, just to cool down. Yeah. And it really does help to give some clarity. And uh, we don't always do that. Well, sometimes, sometimes, it's not, just, sometimes it's not easy to break away. Sometimes you just feel like you really need to finish the fight, right? Yes. It's hard to take, take your opposite sides and get some space. Absolutely. I think it's kind of like you... I don't know. It feels like in me sometimes it's like I want to do this. I want like maybe you have that anger or energy or frustration and maybe it's not even have anything to do with the other person. Right. It's just like, Oh, you've just got to get it out. It's like this stimuli or something. So yeah, it is really hard. And yeah, it's yeah. (laughs) Here endeth our episode of the marriage counselor. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That's right. (laughs) One of the things that you and I have in common is the Casby award. Um, I had a video that was nominated for a 1988 Casby Award. You guys, and we lost to the Shuffle Demons, but rightly so. They had Out of My House Roach. I mean, doesn't get to (laughs) 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 But you guys... Images flash on my mind. (laughs) But you guys won for Best New Band in 93. So the, the question is... How important are award ceremonies and awards to the progress of a band? I think that the only thing that they really are is just to keep up the illusion. (laughs) 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 Everything's great. (laughs) Everything's wonderful. No, they just keep up it. It's content that people talk about. It gives something for people to talk about. Of course, nowadays it's all about content, content, content. So I just think it's all about the illusion, you know, um, and not to say that things aren't great, but, um, you know, uh, being a, an artist for that long period of time is, you you know, if someone has been in the game for, you know, even over 10 years, they've seen their fair share of heartache, you know, right. I mean, even in anybody's life, you know, you see your fair share of heartache. So I definitely think that um, that's all that the wards really do is that's all they're for. We know that now everybody knows that. And I, apparently um, you know, more and more people aren't watching award shows because they just right. know it's a big kind of whatever, but it's, it's something for people to, they get together, they get to talk about their artist or right. whatever they're doing or their music. They get to promote it. It's a promotional tool. Um, however, 
when people, I, I shouldn't all say it's so negative because some people vote for you mm -hmm. and that's the amazing thing. Like that's, you are getting some appreciation, right? Mm. For what you're doing and being nominated for sure is huge. Well, that's Not the winning. It's the nomination is huge if people are voting for you. And so. the, the one thing that I really appreciate about Casby's, and it's in its name, Canadian Artists Selected by You, is that the audience is actively voting, whereas the Junos, it's a little bit different. And sometimes it yeah. can be a bit of a flavor of the month club, right? So Yeah. Oh, totally. It's who gets the little promotional push, right? right. Who needs it? And um, the same with But yeah, hmm. when you get voted for by people it's it's definitely the best for sure yeah yeah so i'm going to admit that and you would actually mention this to me too she said you said you're going to love vicious circles and earth moon transit which i do they're great <laughs> albums they it. certainly of um, of all the albums they're my favorite so far Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But the cool thing is that there is a very distinct sort of sonic shift between the two. Um, there's, you know, I think there's a much more punk-ish flavor to to uh, Earth Moon Transit that not so much in uh, in Vicious Circles. There's more of a Vicious Circles. I find is a more of a mature mid-career pretenders, right? Mm -hmm. Very clever yeah. songwriting. Uh, not so much of the edge that there was in Earth Moon Trans, but still um, very sonically pleasing. What was the? Now I know you had several albums in between there, but, and there was what an eight, an eight year gap between the two. Why? Yeah. Uh, what do you account for the change in genre, or not so much genre, but just the change in sonics? Mm. Yeah, well, definitely um, part of the change in sonics was Earth Moon Transit. We had a band. Tim Timlick was in the band too, right? Mm -hmm. um, and uh, um, Michael McKenzie. And we were out on the road. Like we, we were out on the road with the Goo Dolls for Magic Basement. And then we had a break and then we went back out on the road again. So we went in and recorded that album. And it was like, we just really wanted to capture where we were at live. Like just, right. and we were rocking out. We were moving and shaking. We were, you know, mm -hmm. like it just was that energy right. That was happening. And, um, uh, and we, we, we were influenced by a lot of things that were going on then, you know, at the time, you know, green day and, and stuff like that. Sure. So, um, so, but, uh, I think that, um, vicious circles was a bit more reflective, um, as well as I think, uh, earth moon transit was just, um, there's, th there's uh, songs on there that are definitely, you know, um, inner, uh, struggles and stuff oh, like okay. that. Yeah. Right. Well, just inner struggle, mm -hmm. like just as far as perspective. Um, but, uh, you know, we were just super crazy busy things were happening. And so it was just kind of fun. We wanted it fun and high energy mm. Whereas vicious circles is a little bit more introspective maybe. And, um, you know, we were Johnny and I were writing, um, in our place in Leslieville. Um, and, uh, we just, we had the time kind of to sit, maybe reflect. It was, uh, again, vicious circles. It was reflective on all the years that had gone by. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so, you know, it did have definitely that more kind of, um, um, 
wisdom or, you know, uh, years on it just with experience. So you can kind of feel that, I think, energetically from, from the, from the album compared to Earth Moon Transit. So were you writing Earth Moon Transit on the road? Yeah, some stuff was written on the road. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a lot of it was. What's yeah. the what's the difference for you in terms of writing on the road when you're sort of in the throes of the tour and writing at home where you've got the time to sort of reflect? Yeah, that's a that's that's a good question. I don't know. Maybe you know it it, it leaves you less time to overthink things when you're writing on the road, right? Right. right. You're just like, well, let's just go with this. <laughs> this is great, you know, right. as opposed to, is it great? I don't know. Maybe we can put another coat of paint on it or whatever. <laughs> right, right. So, you know, um, but, you know, I think the process is pretty, pretty similar. I, and, and, um, you know, I, I just love to write. And, and my thing is whole is melodies. Like I just love, I could just write all the time. I've got my, my phone has probably hundreds and hundreds right. of little melodies and stuff on it. Right. Yep. So yeah, <laughs> you, you know, yep. <laughs> so yeah, I think that, I think the process is kind of similar, but you know, it's, that's a good question. Like, is it a little bit more kind of like, okay, this is ready to go. Let's try it out with the band as opposed to overthinking thinking things as possible. And so were yeah. you, so if you'd write something on the road, were you actually actively testing it out uh, on stage? Well, we would, yeah. Uh, we would maybe bring it to sound check and start jamming it out. Oh, okay. Yeah. And, um, or then just in the, in the hotel room, kind of see where it was going to go. Mm. Um, and, and yeah, I'm trying to think, you know, Johnny might remember again, those memories sometimes if we did ever try out songs when we were on the road before we, I'm, I'm sure we did. I'm sure that we did. I just, uh, I wonder if it, it might be a, a perfect opportunity to really flesh out whether, it, you know, cause sometimes you write a song and you think, yeah, this is great. Right. But it kind of falls flat on the audience. So to be able yes. to test it out to an active audience, I think what might yeah. be kind of a cool idea. Right. Yeah. And we did. We definitely did yeah. on that tour, which yeah. was a, a great opportunity to be able to do that for sure. One of the interesting things, too, that I find uh, for artists who are writing an album while on the road is you end up rightly, wrongly intended or not getting a bit of a travel log. I think back to uh, David Bowie's Aladdin Sane, where he wrote the entire thing on the road. And he actually put on the album, I wrote this one in Detroit, or this one's from Cleveland, or this, you know, this one's from L.A., right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so do, you, do you remember in Earth, Moon, Transit, do you remember sort of specific cities associated with certain songs or no? No, I don't. Johnny might remember that, but no, I, I definitely, yeah, I, I do not remember that, no. That'd be great though. I, you know, that's the one thing where having a journal yeah, would have been great. Hey, keeping a journal. Yeah. And we didn't have our phones back then. Right. There's more photographs, <laughs> you know, like we hardly have any, we look back on our photographs and it's like, and they're all horrible too. It's like, you know, moving images or whatever, <laughs> you know, most of them are horrible. You took like you have like a stack of 20 photos and maybe one is good. Right. And um, just like the phone, but you can delete them. Right. So it's, yeah, it's too bad. It's just that uh, we didn't have our phones back then. Oh, and you couldn't so. go in and enhance them like you can today with them. Yeah, exactly. You take a Polaroid and kind of, you know, smudge it around that's, and uh, make it look that's better. That's right. Yeah. I want to yeah. talk to you uh, about 
Talk to Me from Vicious Circles. It's such a powerful song. Where did that come from? Do you remember? came from not that I think I'm pretty sure that uh, I'm pretty sure that Johnny uh, just channeled things that I was going through um, with my family at the time and um, you know uh, in any family there's there's always issues so it was just that whole um, we, we just don't communicate as much as we should you know we yeah. really don't we have ideas in our head about how things are going and and we don't, um, and I know it's something that's talked about, but I don't think it's still something that people do. I, it's just being vulnerable and saying something hurt me or yeah. um, how can we get through this together and, you know, maintain our love for one another. So I think that was just mostly things that I was going through at the time with my, with my family. Um, last year I had... Um an episode with Blair Packham uh, of the Jitters and so many other things. Uh, he does the uh, songwriting workshops in Toronto all the time and whatnot. Uh, and he said, um, and I think he was echo echoing Steve Earle. He said, songwriting is empathy. And that's mm, what, one of the yeah. things I think uh, resonates with me when I listen to talk, uh, talk to me because I empathize with what you you're going through, you know, do you actively yeah. think of that when you're writing a song? Are you looking to determine how it's going to connect with the audience? Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. I mean, there has been times I think that there's certain songs that were written kind of with that more in mind mm. than others. I mean, you know, you, you just try to... Um, because you want to connect, you know, obviously you want to connect with people. You're not just doing it in your basement and not talking to anybody and not putting it out there. Um, so yeah, you want to be able to communicate properly so that hopefully it hits, hits home. Right. Yeah. And if there's any kind of confusion at all, unless that's what you want to do, like, Captain Beefheart, <laughs> <laughs> then you know you want to be kind of hopefully somewhat clear and not too vague. But some people maybe want to be vague. I don't know. But yeah, we, we, I, there are times when we think about it. Not all the time. Mm. There's a lot of interest, being introspective, and and in the hopes that your. Um, I think that our human experiences are very um, connected. Mm -hmm. I don't think there's very many emotions that I have felt that anybody else hasn't felt, you know, right. that's why right. whenever anybody will say to me, they feel lonely or they feel alone. I just have to, I just grab them and go, you're, you, you can't be alone. You can't, there's not, it's impossible to be alone. And I know we all feel lonely at times, but mm. it really is impossible because everything you feel everybody has felt or feeling or going to feel right so it's yeah talk to me about the songwriting process for you guys how does it usually take shape well you know how we used to write a lot was um i uh 
just write a, just a ton of melodies and, you know, I'll sit there and, um, I'll just be, you know, singing either, um, consonants and vowels that aren't any words mm -hmm. and, and Johnny will, uh, sit there and try to catch certain phrases that are coming out. Like you'll say, you said this and I'll be like, I didn't say that. He's like, yeah, you did. <laughs> and uh, I'm like, okay, well, I wasn't aware of that, that. So, and then sometimes it'll surround that little phrase that was said and that'll spark kind of us kind of, um, jamming out ideas, um, that way. So that would happen a lot. Uh, and Johnny also would just sit cause he's like, he writes the lyrics, you know, I don't write the lyrics. I always had trouble writing lyrics mm -hmm. and, uh, I, I've, tried to do it and I've, I've accomplished it just a, it's an anomaly usually. Um, but you know, uh, he would sit and just write lyrics and then just hand them to me. And, um, honestly, the melody comes very, very quickly. That's the one thing I think that I, I don't really know anything else in the world. I don't really have any other amazing skills, but the one I have is you give me your lyrics and there's a melody that just instantly will come into my mind, right? Just how the, right. the, the phrasing of the words and everything. So he does that right. a lot where he's writing and he'll, he'll just give me something. And now the, the last album we did a little differently. And also we've done a lot of where we jam out. We would just jam out ideas. And then when we're jamming, of course, a melody will come to mind. You can hear a melody in the, in the, in the chord pattern. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then this last album we did a little differently. Like we, Johnny started with a bass groove sometimes. And then I would start jamming a, you know, guitar, um, uh, pattern to the bass and then the melody would come and then same thing. We would listen to the recording and you could hear phrases that I would say that I didn't know that I was saying. And then we both of us jammed out that a lot together mm -hmm. um, and would throw out stuff. And Johnny's just great at, he's very, he's very witty and, and humorous and, uh, he um he's able to just take things and put them a certain way like when we were given the task of doing by our manager at the time doing the christmas album that was great because uh johnny was just like okay well, there's got to be a song about christmas trees gonna be a song about christmas shopping <laughs> you know it gave, it gave you the themes right there Right, so we right. wrote the whole, he wrote the whole Christmas album, you know, lyrically. And, and some of them are just so great and humorous. The Christmas shopping one is great. And, right. uh, you know, Christmas time in the summertime, you know, I, I've even seen stuff like that now, which back then you didn't hear it's Christmas time in the summertime. And now all of a sudden everyone's like right. Christmas time in the summertime. That's one of the songs <laughs> in the album that was written, you know, 20 years ago or, um, little Christmas tree. What a beautiful song. And, uh, so yeah, if sometimes if you're given those themes, you can just kind of run with it because so many things come to mind. Yeah. yeah. I've heard all yeah, kinds of yeah. great stories. I love stories about songwriting and I love the Bowie one. I don't know if you probably have heard it because you've heard every Bowie one, but where they would throw things up in the air, oh, yeah. like a bunch of words up in the air and wherever they landed, if they landed together, that's we would put those you know words together. I just love stories like that and ideas like that. Aladdin Sane was one of the albums where he did that. Yeah. In fact. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> one of the things that I do because I write to 99% of the material for Church of Trees is I'll write the song, write the lyric, write a melody, 
and I will give it to whoever is going to be singing it at the time and just ask for a reaction because sometimes the person who's going to sing it, well, number one, you need a connection to the song in order yeah. for it to um, to be executed properly. You have to have some kind of Absolutely. you know emotional investment in it and 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 believe in the narrative. Yeah, for sure. Um, and sometimes I'll give it to so, <clears throat> for example. I work with Dee Dee Butters uh, a lot, who's from a great Ottawa band called the Peptides. Brilliant, brilliant soul singer, uh, but just happens to sing great pop as well. And I'll give it to her and she'll start dissecting the narrative. And then she'll start recommending uh, certain subtle changes just so that they make a connection to her. Carol Pope, I, I wrote Worlds of Bitch for Carol Pope, but she did the same thing. She just took a couple of words, yeah. not, nothing big, yeah. but just enough that it gave her sort of a latch onto the song. Mm. Does Johnny do that with you? Yeah, for sure. There's definitely little changes that that uh, come about, for sure. Um you know, or absolutely, or I'll say, you know, oh, this would work better saying it like this, you know, and he's like, yeah, no, that makes sense. So yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I reached out to another person um, in preparation for our little conversation, and it's Jerry Young of Current Records oh, and Current Management, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, a mutual friend um, and, a, and a great guy and, you know, someone with massive experience in the world of uh, oh, Canadian no record making and distribution and whatnot, and, you know, Martha and the Muppins and Parachute Club, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, let me just tell you what he he wrote. Uh, Leslie Stanwyck and John Sin Johnny Sinclair of Universal Honey are not only extremely prolific and talented recording artists, but two of the nicest and brightest musical talents I've worked with in years. Aww. It must feel good to have industry people like that with Aww. such stature talking about you like that. Yeah, How do you react okay. to that? Oh, it's just, oh, it's lovely. It's, yeah, it almost brings tears to my eyes because it's Aww. really, it really, it really is. Yeah, I mean, you hope because you know, <laughs> you know, as an artist, like all of the hours that you work where you don't get you don't get paid and you don't get appreciated because you're just doing it because you love it. Of course, you're getting that out of it. I'm not saying you get nothing. You just love it. And mm -hmm. so, you know, um, when someone actually appreciates you and sees you, yeah, it's like, oh, my God, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I want to roll back to um, the late 80s um, and your work with um, with Mo and the rest of Pursuit of Happiness. Um, particularly the recording process for those first two albums, because you were in Todd Rundgren's studio with the master himself, Todd Rundgren. Yeah. I'm a huge Todd fan. Uh, you know, bought all the albums, listened to all the albums, listened to everything he's produced, uh, including TPOH. What was that just in general? What was that like working with somebody of that stature? Well, first of all, I should have mentioned Todd when we were listening to to albums and music in the van right. and tour bus because we were listening to a lot of Todd, <laughs> <laughs> everything Todd. So uh, I will say that first of all, um, you know, it was. Um, I think that <laughs> you know I was really young, and uh, it's funny how 
it, things just don't hit you the same way when, when you, then when you look back on it, yeah. like I was just so like, ah, oh, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and you, uh, you know, ah, oh, whatever. I mean, mind you, you know, I, uh, um, <clears throat> you know, coming from my background with my dad, I was around a lot of very well-known artists. Like he was close friends with Paul Anka. So right. I was just around Paul Anka and I would hang around with his kids all the time. So, you know, um, yeah, it was just, I just said, I guess this kind of bit of uh, kind of like, yeah, what, what, but, but at the, on the other hand, it was a thrill. It was amazing. Of course it was a thrill. And, and, and just, just being now being able to think I was there and saw what he did, you know, and, and, and just because he is a master, mm. like everything he does, like, you know, XTC, like everything that he puts his touch on was just like incredible. Yeah. And, um, I don't think people talk enough about him really, but, uh, and, and he's such an awesome, sweet, sweetheart of a guy, you know, and, we get in great discussions with him, but you know, I was just, you know, I was a young gal, you know, and I just kind of, and, and I was shy too right. and very, and, and insecure. So I, I just kind of sat back and just kind of watched everything. And, um, and, uh, I got a compliment from him, which was great. Um, what was after the I sang my parts, I can't remember. It was something cause he was so, it was probably a compliment that was not a very nice thing to say about everybody else. Cause he was kind of sarcastic at times, like saying, I'm not in the right band or he's, something. He's so I don't know, you know? Yeah. So I don't want to, I don't know that I can repeat it. completely. Oh, okay. I can't remember it completely, but, um, it was just amazing. Like what a wonderful time it was in, you know, Woodstock. Mm -hmm. Um, and he had a guest, our band house. We stayed at the band house, watched a lot of, you know, Saturday night live, um, and laughter asses off, you know, drank. I made, uh, my, um, chili pepper, uh, um, pasta and pasta sauce Ooh. and, and yeah. And we just had a, a great time and just crazy, crazy time and went and hung out with him at his place and got to know, um, Michelle and, um, yeah and live tyler she came to the house one time yeah. and and um yeah it was just a, and he was just i do know that i when he spoke you listened right mm -hmm. because you knew that he was todd is god yeah so you would just sit and you would you would listen mm -hmm. And it was great though. He would have arguments with Mo sometimes and we would just sit there and listen, you know, back and forth. <laughs> like, you can't, don't argue with Todd. I was always on Todd's side. <laughs> no, I'm joking. I love Mo too. But no, I was always on to no, Todd's. Sorry. <laughs> the one thing that comes to mind, and it was, it was actually Mo that uh, had mentioned it. So I'm, I'm not speaking out of turn here. But yeah. <laughs> uh, it talked about how Todd really hated Moe's guitar playing. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that must have been interesting when Moe's trying to lay down a guitar track and Todd's sitting there. Yes. <laughs> what was that Yes, like? he took, yeah, Moe, he was so good. Like, he definitely took, well, because he loves Todd. So, you know, Todd would have mm -hmm. definitely the comments, the sarcastic comments or 
Uh, you know, Johnny can remember a couple, I, I can't remember them right now, but just when they would, you know, lay down the, the rhythm track or whatever, a couple of sarcastic comments like, you know, he would make. And he would sit, uh, also, he, the studio was set up so you were on the floor and he was up in his, upstairs in his booth and he could right. see you, but you couldn't see him. So it was like talking to God. You just heard him talking to you, and you're like, <laughs> the voice "Where are you? <laughs> Where are you, God?" <laughs> so, uh, yeah, he was hilarious. Oh my God! And he would listen to um, Nix's back so loud, like our hair would be blowing back. We'd be like, "Oh my right. God, does he have any hearing left?" <laughs> Quick question for you about the the, the first album, uh, because you know I was I was living in Toronto and around the Queen Street crowd, and I heard the first independent release of Adult Now, and loved it, and I and I love Todd and I love Todd's production, but I kind of thought he overproduced it. Yeah, right. Did you, right. Were you guys cool with what he did? Well, I was cool with what he did because I wasn't on the original. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. So. Uh, but I, you know, I know what you mean, um, because that, but that was TPOH indie, right? And it sounded indie, right? And uh, I think that uh, it, the song was in line with the rest of the album as a cohesive album, you know, it had to be done. Okay. You know what I mean? That song right. had to be done. It hadn't hit the states. That was a Canadian indie hit, right? And so it had to be on the album for American release. And we, you know, he would have to do it the way that he had done the rest of the album, which he really did take that approach. Like he was trying to capture what we did live. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so um, I think it was in line with, but it's definitely more produced than the original for sure. Yeah. 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 Um, fast forward 30 years. You, it's 2022. You've just released a new single, Hush a Word. And I keep hearing from people that there is going to be a new album, though nobody knows the name of it. Nobody knows when it might be released. <laughs> Flesh that out. What's happening with the new album? Well, it's, um, you know, we were going to, uh, we were going to release the new album, um, which I'm going to tell you what it is because why not? Um, yeah. it's you, it's Bernard Frazier. Okay. So, uh, I, um, it dandelion is what we're calling the album. Oh, cool. And there's a lot of reasons behind that, but they're very resilient. Uh, we thought about not calling it that at times because some, you know, feedback was kind of like, well, it's a weed, but I'm like, it's not a weed, it's a flower. Yeah. And it's very, very resilient and it's very useful. <laughs> And it, it, you know, it just keeps on going. So it's kind of, you know, after 30 years, uh, we just keep going and we're resilient. And so, um, it, we were going to put it out this year. And then, uh, <laughs> you know, we had advice from our, um, the uh, marketing team to put out singles before we put out the album. You know, we're old mm -hmm. school. We were going to put a single out maybe, and then put the album out. Yeah. And, um, cause you know, when you, when you, obviously, you know, when you write it and you finish your album, it's like, you just want to put it out there. Right. Cause, um, yeah. you're just excited about, and we're still excited about it, but, um, it was their advice to just put out three singles and then put out the focus single with the album and uh when it when it comes out so we, we pushed it back and so it's coming out at the beginning of february okay yeah 
Talk to me about the whole single versus album thing, because I am a uh, a tried and true DIY artist. I mean, I do everything, yeah. including all of the radio tracking, including all of those, you know, hundreds of cold calls to music directors oh around the God. world. Oh, my God, yeah. Um, and, yeah, no, it's not fun, but, I mean, it's a lot. It, right? It's a lot. It, it, it's a lot. It's a lot. And one of the issues that I have is, particularly with uh, Canadian and U.S. college radio, is that, uh, for the most part, they won't chart you for a single mm. they will only charge you if you've released an album to go along with that single right right but in the the but the paradox here is that we live in a single dominated world you know yeah. we live in a, the spotify age where you know all of the great pop artists only release singles unless you're taylor swift of course and then you can do both right yeah yeah so how what is your approach then in in terms of managing that because i'm assuming that you're trying to get in the, the college radio is still a mainstay for universal honey right yeah for sure absolutely um yeah that's that's about it really <laughs> so uh yeah you can't get played on commercial radio these days that's for damn sure no and not as an indie artist for sure right yeah, so yeah. um yeah it is very hard to manage and we're, you know we're constantly learning as i'm sure that you are like we're we're just trying to figure this out and it's changing constantly. And then, you, you know, you do hear there's a certain level of artists where they do put out albums. There's a certain genre of music where they just put out albums. They don't put out right. um, singles. And then of course, um, you know, cause my, my ear to the ground is usually, or our ear to the ground is usually our son too. And he's like, no, they people put out albums and they'll put a video out with a, you know, mm -hmm. with a song after the album's released. And I'm like, oh my God. So, you know, um, it's definitely changed for sure. It, 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 it I think for an indie artist, uh, definitely from what we've experienced is that you just want to keep putting material out there because, right. you know, um, you're only as good as your last release. Yeah, exactly. And you're trying yeah. to, as an indie artist, you just want to grow mm -hmm. your audience. You want to, more and more people to hear your music. So right. the only way you can do that, like we were told that when an album comes out, it's done, <laughs> you know, but you're right. That PR like they, they, they don't like to do PR or promotion unless they do have an album out. You don't want to P, you don't do PR on a single usually, right? So it's, it's, uh, it's very confusing times. And yeah. I think it's just kind of like, yeah, we're all just trying to figure it out. But I mean, um, I, I definitely think that, yeah, putting out a few singles before an album release is probably a wise thing to do. Mm. And now I know we'll do a video after the first song, after the album's released. So <laughs> add that into the manual. So <laughs> I just find it a drag that the only place that you can use the video these days is on social media. I know. You know there's no more much music. There's no more MTV. There's know. you know none of that, right? That's a real drag. Yeah, it is a drag. Um, I was trying to explain that to our son and just say, you know, one time back in the olden <laughs> days, <laughs> my cane, and you know, back. So you know, we had a station where they played videos all day, and we would sit around the video, <laughs> the TV, and watch videos. And he's like, "What?" And I'm like, "Yeah." So, um, I know it, it, it's, it would be a great place. And again, 
once again, no wonder, and so it's starting to come into my mind why we're having so many issues where everybody's in their different little camps. And, and, and not to say that there's anything wrong with it. We've got to get used to it. We've got to figure this out. But there was a time when we did all gather around the TV and watch, just like the, we all saw the same videos. Yeah. We all had something to talk about. We had community. It's the same thing with the news. We had uh, yeah. we had Walter Cronkite or whatever, and we had the news was on from six o'clock till seven, and we had right. one guy we listened to, and this was the news, and these were the facts. And now it's like there's right. news all over the place. There's songs all over. There's videos all over the place. Everybody's making their own little. Um, it's like in Star Trek, the hologram world or the holodeck. Right. Everyone's making right. their own little holodeck. Right. So no wonder there's been a lot of issues out there. <laughs> places where you guys have really excelled i mean you excel at a lot of things but one of the and the key places which is a revenue generator is you guys have so many sinks yeah um, yeah yeah for those of us who have a really difficult time knocking on any music soup's door and getting anything heard no less played or included on a tv or a film or or ad yeah. how did that work out how did you guys figure that out yeah, I know, right? That was like, that was, you know, Doug, our old manager, did a lot of that, you know, back in the day, had those relationships. We had a really great relationship with a guy by the name of Jim McGraw, who worked on, um, he did music for uh, Degrassi. And okay. so he was a really good friend. And he did uh, a lot, of, he's so talented. And he did a lot of work. He did work on our Magic Basement album. He did work on our, um, I think on Earth, Moon, Transit and on the third album. Um, so we had a really great relationship with him. So he just uh, said, hey, I can use your songs in, in these Degrassi shows. So you start getting a little bit of that, you know, going as well as, yeah, we had a lot of movie stuff that came about that I don't even know how yeah. it came about. I don't know if it was Doug because we were in uh, searching for Deborah Winger, which that was in right. the Cannes Film Festival. And, right. and, uh, and then, of course, um, Denny Arcan's Love and Human Reigns. But I, I don't know how those came about. I think they came about through just Doug, people that we knew, um, and our managers at the time. So, yeah, it was it was lucky. We still get stuff. We still get stuff. We just had something that was placed in a Christmas movie because of, you know, Best Christmas Ever. And, and then we had Ronnie Spector that did our song, which was right. uh, Best Christmas Ever, and named her album after that, which was incredible. That was through uh, Doug's relationships. So, um, yeah, we were just really, really uh, lucky and fortunate that the people in our, you know, in, on, in our little family had good connections, you know. Right. Speaking of the Christmas album, I just wanted to touch on this briefly because it's it's very cool. You got yeah. to work with some real notable Canadian artists, uh, Ron Sexsmith. Uh, you worked with um, Jim Cuddy of Blue Rodeo, Tyler uh, Stewart of Bare Naked Ladies. What was that like working with people of that stature? 
oh, it was uh, awesome. It was amazing. It was like, it was a little treat every time because they're all so talented. Yeah. You know, they would come in and sing a song. Like I remember when, um, Ron came in and sang little Christmas tree, like my, Oh my God, I just melted. Like I was just like, his voice is amazing and so warm. And, um, like everybody that, that did something on that album was just, it was like a treat. It was every, every time because it was like, Oh, this is a new, like you can just feel the, what they had. But yeah. Every time I would hear somebody sing or play, it was just like, you can see them, their, their gift or their yeah. connection to the source or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah, like you just I go, do. Oh, Oh my God, this is great. So it was wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, before we take a break and um, come back, talk about Keith Richards as your pick of the essence of cool. I want to talk to you quickly about your, some of your other projects, because you have many, <laughs> but specifically <laughs> uh, Tucker Lane and the bod. So Tucker Lane, um, very cool country project. Yeah. You know, pull out the, the pedal steel and the fiddles. And uh, I mean, then again, as I said at the beginning, the nice through line through all of this is your voice, right? That's this wonderful connection to all of the music but beautifully produced beautifully written country songs and the bod great electronic uh, electropop album really really enjoyed it (laughs) where did they come from and why i know it's so funny when i'm hearing you talk about it's like oh you did this country thing and then you did this electronica (laughs) thing and it's like the opposite spectrum basically (laughs) it's like yeah you can can hear the core the universal honey core in everything right yeah Yeah, for sure where did it come from why did you decide to do that well, you know, I think that, um, again, the universal, it's all music. Like there's aspects, like when we came to the prairies, I was totally like, did not, I, I never, I shouldn't say I, did, I, I would, but I was one of those people that said like, I don't like country. Nope. I don't like country. I don't want to listen to country. I don't want to have anything to do with country. And, um, and then of course you come out to the prairies and we were playing kind of, we were out and about playing just when we first got here, it was just like, we got to get out and play. So we would just play cover music, even just as a duo acoustically. And then we hooked up with Johnny's old, his uh, high school friend, Brent Carlin. We started playing and people came out and would just say like, do you know any country songs? Do you know any country songs? You know, no, you know, but then when you start listening to these country songs or some artists, and I probably lean a little bit more towards Americana or roots, like um, Steve Earle, Right. Like who is more rocking than Steve Earle? Like he right. is, he's got a rock and roll heart, but yep. it's coming out this way. Um, Lucinda Williams, yeah, she's got a rock and roll heart, but it comes out this way. So it's like, you know what I mean? It comes yeah. out different ways, but this, it's all kind of the same. It feels the same to me. It's just like, yeah. yeah. And so, um, we start playing some of those artists. And so, and of course, Tom Petty, like if you would have played Tom Petty now or the Eagles now, they would be classified kind of as country right right plus there was so now that i think back i mean there was of course stuff that i just loved like um the birds you know or that kind of that whole paisley kind of uh, country sound right Mm -hmm. so uh we just really wanted to indulge that appreciation for that music um and it's funny 
we went to some event where they had a bunch of, it was a songwriter circle and they're always so much fun to go to. Yeah. It was a songwriter circle of country artists and some of them had written for Taylor Swift and some of them had written for, you know, other artists and they played the songs. The, the, the songwriters played the songs and some of the songs had me in tears. Like they just would play yeah. them acoustically. And I was like, you know, this is just a really good song. Maybe yeah. I don't like the way it was produced. You know, it's got that modern country sound, which I'm not, a, I'm not a big fan of that modern country sound. Um, mm. uh, doesn't mean that they're not great songs, you know, mm. just because I don't gravitate towards it doesn't mean I don't appreciate it or appreciate what they're doing, you know? Um, so that we really wanted to indulge that side of it. Um, the electronica album was just fun. Um, you know, at the time we were listening to, uh, you know, I'm trying to think of stuff that we were listening to that was a bit more on that side, more Chiba. I'm trying to think of who else, you know, but we were, uh, yeah, we just, again, we want to indulge that side because there's a lot of like, Oh, uh, another, uh, um, chemical brothers. I, I just, I listened to th that album. Um, uh, you know, the, uh, one of the first ones they came out with for their first album and their second album. Mm. I listened to that just so much. I just freaking yeah. love that stuff. Right. So we just kind of want to indulge that side of it a little bit. Um, mm. and, uh, but I know what you mean. Like there's still, my voice is there. Uh, melodically, it's still coming from me. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. lyrics still coming from Johnny. So, um, but it's just coming out a, a different way. So, yeah. And why did you decide to brand it differently? Why not just all universal honey? Yeah. Right. We've had that question before. Right. But, mm -hmm. uh, and, and yeah, I mean, that's a possibility, but it was, it's so, I guess we really, we didn't indulge ourselves in just, I mean, yes, we could have maybe said universal honey electronica album, universal honey roots album, um, and maybe that would have been smarter to do. Because <laughs> it's so much work running through the band. But no, I, you know, maybe. Well, as you say, there's no rule book. You, 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 you're kind of making it up as you go along, right? Yeah, you, no, who knows? no kidding. No kidding. But yeah, it just, it just seemed like it deserved a different title or a different, you know, band or a different kind of. Yeah. It just yeah. Did. And, you know, at the time, you know, Honestly, Universal Honey, to, like we had just gone at it for so for so long, and we had hit so many. We'd gone through. There was one label we tried to get put um, the was it the Fearless out on? I can't remember now. But uh, you know that label went bankrupt, and you hit yeah. so many obstacles that yeah. at some point you go like, is this maybe not? working like is it maybe we need to do something else i still music but something else so we kind of took a step back from universal honey because it was it it was so heartbreaking right. and we went out and we started playing before we moved out here we started playing clubs in toronto again and we hadn't played clubs in a while because we just always did the tour circuit we were always in the states right. or playing festivals and so we came back and started doing clubs again. It was like, oh my God, the clubs have changed. This is horrible. They would have you know, four or five bands every night. The club owners would treat the bands like shite, you know? Yep. So yeah. So it was just like, oh my God, so much has changed. Like, and it was just, it was, yeah, very discouraging. And just, we just took a step back 
And then I did some solo thing, Leslie Stanwick, and we did Will, Where Will We Be Tomorrow? That was on Women in, Women in Song, Volume 10. Mm-hmm. And we just really took a step back from Universal Honey. I, and ironically, we really didn't know if we were going to do anything again. We never really thought about it. We moved out here. We started plugging away and playing music. Tucker Lane was just like, okay, well, let's have a band, do more roots here. Tucker Lane, perfect. Uh, the bod, you know, do our thing. And then it just people started asking us about Universal Honey. What's what's up with it? Like, and we we're like, I don't know. I don't know what's up with Universal Honey. We haven't thought about it. And then we just thought we should start putting out, we, we, we got all our rights back for all of our albums. Oh, and great. so we thought, let's just put them out in streaming because they weren't on streaming. And right. that just kind of led to us going like, yeah, it's just pretty great. <laughs> well, so th- bad. <laughs> well, thank God you persisted um, <laughs> because you have this wonderful legacy of music and you're still going strong and we're looking forward to the new album. Oh, it's awesome. And, I hope uh, you love it. I hope everybody loves it because it, uh, it's, sure. yeah, it's a great album. Yeah, I'm sure I will love it. Um, and one of these days... I want Church of Trees to open for Universal Honey. Yeah, so and people should known. check out Church of Trees because you guys are awesome, too. So, <laughs> yes. <you. laughs> On that note, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about your pick of the essence of cool, Keith Richards. So stick with us. We'll be right back. We want to hear from you. Let us know what you liked and even what you didn't like. Have you got a show or guest idea? Well, drop us a line. Our email addy is info at theessenceofcool.com. We look forward to hearing from you. Now let's get back to the show. We're back with Leslie Stanwick, um, and we're going to talk about your pick of the essence of cool, Keith Richards. And goes without saying, I mean, look up in the dictionary, the, you know, the definition of cool. And there's a picture of Keith Richards. Right? Yep. <laughs> How did you first uh, learn of or the Stones or Keith? Were you was it from something you listened to on the radio or what was uh, what was your first? Mm, yeah, <laughs> that's a great question, because, you know, I've never even thought of that. Like, where did I first hear of Keith uh, Stones? And um, because I was a massive Stones fan when I was really, really young. Like I was, I think I was 12 or 13. And and I think it was, and I don't know, you maybe could tell me, but I used to um, ask uh, my parents if I could get up uh, just before midnight and watch Midnight Special. (laughs) And they'd be like, oh, okay. (laughs) So I would get up and watch Midnight Special and just, oh my God, like it gives me goosebumps to this day. Just that whole show, like just sitting in front of the TV and yeah. waiting for the artists, waiting for them to announce the artists and who is it. And I don't know if the Stones were on Midnight Special. Yeah. I'm not sure. I'm not sure who, you know, first introduced me to them. But, you know, I had a Stones poster on my wall. Um, uh, amazing pictures of Keith. Like, he was just the coolest. And I never, and the, you know, the one thing I always say is I, I never wanted to be kind of, I wasn't, I didn't feel like a groupie, you know, I didn't feel like that way. Like I, you know, I obviously had a crush on him, of course, when I was that young, but it was more like I wanted to be like that. That's why I started playing electric guitar. You know, I wanted, Uh, that's what I wanted to be was Keith Richards. You know, I didn't want to be 
right. Keith Richards girlfriend. I wanted to actually be Keith Richards. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. um, yeah, he's just the, the coolest. And I've read probably every single Rolling Stones book and the antics and him, you know, being cut off by someone yeah. in his car and running down, chasing the, the guy with a machete, like all of those. <laughs> I don't know. I just get the biggest kick out of them. I don't know. Some people think, what? Like arrest the man. But I'm just like, Oh my gosh, this is the greatest stories. Um, just there's, yeah, I just love it. Just loved everything. <laughs> I'm a little surprised that you, I mean, I, I'm never surprised that somebody would pick Keith <laughs> yeah. Richards. But I'm surprised that you, as a woman, as a female artist, picked him and not, I don't know, Patti Smith or uh, Joan Jett or yeah, Debbie Harry. Yeah, I know, right? Um, yeah, I feel the same way. I was, I, I was always um, way more like the male artists rather than female artists. Right. Um, I appreciate what the, the female artists did. Of course, <clears throat> you know, when uh, The Runaways came out and Joan Jett came out, it was like, okay, cool. Okay. Yeah. She's, but it wasn't like, <clears throat> I wasn't like, you know, whoa, I was, it's just different when you're doing what they're doing is like, you just feel like, okay, right on. Yeah. Like Chrissy Hines, same thing. Like someone came up to me and said, Oh my God, you've got to see this, you know, woman in this band called the pretenders. I was like, Oh, okay. It just doesn't, it doesn't dawn on me that they're really any different than a male artist right. for some right. reason. So I'm like, okay, so she's a woman playing guitar. What's the big deal? <laughs> <laughs> for God's sakes. But I do know that it has a novelty to it, but <clears throat> um, a novelty side to it. But yeah, I just always loved, uh, yeah, the, the, the male the male artists and that male energy that they bring to it. Um, even though there's amazing female artists, but they, do, they always did it a little bit differently, <clears throat> even in, you know, writing or approach or something where it's Carol King or, or, um, Jefferson airplane anyway. Um, but yeah, whereas Chrissy and, um, Chrissy in particular, more so than Joan Jett, she just like got it like for me it was just like she's doing it kind of yeah she's uh a woman but she's not dressing like a woman you know she's not showing her cleavage mm -hmm. and you know she's dressing mm -hmm. like the dudes she you know sisters i've always just been really one of the guys you know and uh I think one of the things that maybe helped Chrissy too was the fact that she was sort of living and breathing British punk at the time. Mm -hmm. I mean, she was helping form the Sex Pistols and she was hanging out with the Damned and she was, you know, Sid Vicious was going to yes, marry her to right. keep her into that's right. in the yeah. UK, right? So she had that kind of punk mentality, which, you know, clearly was, you know, uh, was exuded when yeah. she was performing. One of the things that um, Keith talks about in his book is and something that Jay Semko had mentioned in a previous episode uh, of this show is the importance of confidence mm. as a performer and that if you don't have an abundance of confidence how would people ever accept you as a performer because you're not making that impact you're not you know embodying what it is and and i guess that's part of it is it i mean not just the swagger but it's his confidence that yeah that's that's uh, a good point i think that that is something that is very attractive for sure 
<clears throat> and <clears throat> an artist that comes to mind is um, Freddie Mercury. You know, when he went out there, yeah. like he was just like, he owned it. Yeah, he, he just it. knew. He just knew like he knew like he knew. Yeah. And uh, and you were just there just to go like, wow. It's almost like, it's almost honestly, and this might not sound ridiculous, but it's almost like seeing a piece of artwork that just touches you on a deeper level. Like you just, it's like, you know that they're really in touch with something that's beyond this world. Yeah. And I think that's where that, that confidence comes from because it's like you, it can't, it's not, it can't be of this world only. There's something that's, that's giving you that, that fuel, Yeah. you know, like our, our new song that we're going to, that's coming out in November is called made of the storm. And it's about Joan of Arc And reading her story, it's not really, I shouldn't say it's about her, it's inspired by her. It's just about just that, again, that power, feeling that, that confidence. Like she just knew, like she knew, like she's like, what, 18, 19 years old? And just knowing, no, this is what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. Yeah. Where do you know that from? You know that from some other place. You don't know that from here. You can have everybody telling you, no, 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 this isn't going to work. And, but you're just like, no, actually, I, there's something I just know on a deeper level, right? So I think that that confidence, yeah. you're absolutely right. They're just, they embody what they know that they are. Mm-hmm. Well, the other thing on that same note is that when you watch Keith, and I've watched a couple of documentaries about him, and I've seen, you know, some footage from backstage, when he picks up that guitar, he gets lost in the guitar. The rest mm-hmm. of the world dissolves, and it's just him. And I think Jay, Jay said it was like the the guitar is is an extra appendage, you know. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure, absolutely. I mean, you see, there's yeah. Again, it's that somehow they're just it's just right for them. Mm-hmm. And you would see that, of course, in Jimi Hendrix. You know, right. another one where it's just like, what is happening here? Um, I hear stories of, of, you know, my dad telling me about working with Judy Garland, you know, when, uh, she was backstage, he said she was so frail and so small and she just looked like she was just going to fall apart. And soon as that curtain opened, she was larger than life. There was just something that took her over. Right. So yeah, for sure. It's just, they're doing, they're doing what they're meant to be doing in, I'm not sure if it was in the book or was in uh, one of the documentaries I watched, but they were talking about Keith, um, in that, uh, in terms of the, the stage performance that people wouldn't look to, um, the drummer, for um for cues to you know follow along a song which is the sort of the usual case you go to the drummer because the drummer's counting you Mm. in drummer's keeping you in time um and you're looking for the drummer for the accents and whatnot and the changes but everybody would look to keith for all the changes they you know yeah for sure and and, i mean that makes sense to me really because again i hear remember stories my dad would tell me about amazing drummers like you know, Buddy Rich or whatever right. they played with, they get their cues from the leader. Right. They do. Right. Because, uh, you know, you if you throw your hand out a certain way like that, the drummer's got to catch that. So they're, you know, they're definitely looking towards the leader. Right. I don't I don't think that, I know the drummer's holding down the beat, but they've got to be, the show has to 
be all together and they've got to make sure they're catching everything. So, yeah, yeah but Keith, yeah, for sure. And it's so funny when you see Keith in interviews, um, he's, you can tell he's shy. Yeah. Yeah. He, cause he's all, he, you know, the way he talks and, you know, like, and it's, you can tell there's a shyness to him, but not on stage. There's a shyness, but there's also this profound wisdom. You know, yeah, I, yeah, I, totally. You, you read the book, and I'm, I'm holding it here right now, Life by Keith Richards. Um, yeah. He really is a, a, a thoughtful guy and really does, he, he, there's some profound thinking going on. You know, I oh, was really sure. quite surprised by a lot of what he said because it was just, it was very eye-opening. I know. Keith is nearly 80, but he doesn't show any signs of stopping. And even through all of the hell that he's been through, the heroin addiction, uh, the booze, I think he still smokes. Oh, no, actually, did he? Did I hear he just gave up smoking not that long ago? Uh, But what do you think just what do you think drives him still? I don't know. I think the same things that drive us again. I think, you know, when you think about how you feel, I think it's the same as how he feels. Like, I do feel like there's not very many emotions that we, um, come up with that are brand new. (laughs) So I think that he really, um, just loves what he does, loves that creative process, loves that spark. And I think it, it, I think that to, um, to artists, to, to me anyways, I shouldn't speak for all the artists and maybe this is just me, but I feel like when you create something, it brings you closer to, um, that other place that's beyond this world, whatever you want to call it, source, universe, God, whatever you want to call it. Like, I think that for me, there's always that search. So, you know, I think that that's what it feels like when you create something and you go, wow, like it's, and whether you see a piece of art, anything or a beautiful structure or a sunset or whatever it is, I think we're trying to get past just, you know, these four walls. Right. So I think it's, that's what it is for him. I would imagine. Yeah. I can't thank you enough for spending the time with me. We were almost two hours here. Wow. (laughs) Wow. I know. Oh my God. It went by so fast. And I have more questions too, but I just got to shut up. Um, before I let you go, well, we're good friends now. After this, we're good friends. After this, there you go. Hugs. <laughs> we're we're going to meet up somewhere in uh, I don't know Manitoba for a coffee or something. Yeah. <laughs> That's uh, right. Um, so quickly before I let you go, HoneyTunes.ca, a place to find uh, all latest information about Universal Honey. And yeah, to find Universal Honey, Tucker Lane, the bots, all on HoneyTunes.ca, or you can go to the actual band sites, which are, you know, you just Google them, TuckerLane.ca or UniversalHoneyBand.com. Okay. Um, so, yeah. Thank you so much. It's been a delight. Oh, it's been wonderful. Thank you so much. Mwah. Heartfelt thanks to Leslie for hanging with me for two hours and being absolutely lovely. Watch for their new album Dandelion, which drops in February. For more information on Universal Honey, Tucker Lane, and The Bod, visit their website, honeytunes.ca. Until next time, I'm Bernard Fraser saying thanks for listening, and please support local independent artists.